Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Matt Beer, Mike Kazama, and Dario DiGiulio. Did I say that right? You did. Did First I? First time. I get so <laughs> well scared, done. man. I just, I, you know, it's, it's like a weird mixture of like, my voice is outwitting my the, the the speed of my brain. You know? <laughs> Get ahead of yourself. No, it was great. Just, <laughs> Dario works too. Dario yeah. works. Yeah. When the problem is, I bake myself in by saying Matt Beer because that rolls off the tongue. And I'm like Mike Kazama. I'm like, oh Jesus. Here uh, it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> building. <laughs> so there's been some cool news coming out in the mountain bike world this week. The biggest of which probably relates to the 2023 Oval Champions for the EWS after. That last round in Chatel, which was won by Morgan Sharp and Jesse Melamed. In the overall championships, though, it was won by the old dream team of Isabeau Cordurier and Richie Rude. And it's really great to see Richie win an overall again. Mm-hmm. I know it felt like in Enduro, you get these riders that have these amazing peaks Martin Mace, Adrian Day, Richie Rude. And sometimes they don't really ever come back. Who would be your pick of the bunch, Matt, if you could have any riding style? of those top EWS races, the kind of smooth, slightly angry precision of Rude, the active, you know, pumping style of Melamed, who would be your favorite? Matt Walker always looks pretty good. Mm. Pretty dialed. He's yeah. got quite a strong position on the bike. He kind of muscles it, hey? Yeah, yeah. Never looks out of shape. No, totally. I mean, mm. some of that stuff in Chateau, we were seeing a little video that was actually put up by, I think, Tommy uh, Caldwell. On, uh, of that moon booter. Of the moon booter onto the fire road. And if you want to see some Enduro races getting out of shape you don't need to look <laughs> yeah. too far um kaz for comment gold this week you actually brought something to my attention i think you've got comment gold if you like to read gold. out all right well this one comes from berm junkie and it was in the uh, we had a spotted article lapierre has a new bike that's coming out at some point and so this commenter says perfect timing enduro racing being at its peak and all <laughs> <laughs> which is it's probably taint paint something go picture you know we've seen news of some teams pulling out this week i think that enduro bike is a bit strange as well because its seat tube is very, very short. I don't know if it's an enduro bike or a downhill bike. Yeah. <laughs> but what's your take on what's happening with these teams pulling out? Do you think it's the money kind of drying up in the bike industry a bit? Or do you think it's because of the impact of maybe the broadcasting? I mean, I think it's both. I think you are seeing companies trying to find where they can kind of tighten things up and cut some, cor- not cut corners, but just cut overall costs. And if you're going to try to fly a team all the way around the world and station over in Europe for eight or nine rounds, I mean, that's an expensive endeavor you could probably get more bang for your buck with just even having a smaller team or just even going influencers or other ways to get your, your brand out there. I mean, because a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of companies they're using enduro racing or any racing in general, it's a marketing tool. You know, obviously they love racing in a lot of instances, but it's also, you want people to see your athletes and see them on the bikes. And if there's no viewers that doesn't really, it's not as effective yeah. as a marketing tool. Cause are you for one moment suggesting that bike industries are trying to, bike companies are trying to make money because that is slanderous. Even compared to like downhill and cross country, there's just a lot less screen time for the bikes themselves. So if it is this the idea of it is of the racing as an advertisement, it's just been a less effective means. Yeah. Darius, you're somebody that likes all different styles of riding, you know, everything from, I know you've done something crazy, like bikepacking stuff. You're a dab hand on an enduro bike. You've done your, your time at Downerville doing God knows what in Lycra. But I don't worry. No, never, <laughs> never that. <laughs> but what, do you think enduro is still considered as cool as it once was? Do you Ooh. think that it's still just as, as valuable to, to the consumer? Um, I, I don't think so. No, I think it's like with it be getting with it getting more professional and more dialed, I think it lost some of the like fun grassroots 
you'd like have Joe Schmo like me racing with a bunch of professionals and you're going to these cool new places and with the calendar getting a little bit repetitive and the field just narrowing down a lot because of the you know, the competition getting better it's it's less of like the dreamy thing that it was but at the same time like the racing has gotten a lot better so you could kind of two sides of the same coin in that way yeah it's hard because i feel that for a long time it was um the anti-establishment fan favorite yeah know? yeah it was and like it, the cool you know it was like kind of we don't need like the uci Indira. we're yeah. doing it by ourselves yeah. oh well the uci would be nice oh what's this right. discovery like it all just felt like they kind of made an you know rod for their own back um Moving on, though, you know, maybe we should do a podcast about how we would fix Enduro in itself. I think we actually tried to record one once, but mm-hmm. I may or may not have fucked up the recording, and <laughs> it may or may not have disappeared no. from, from the memory <laughs> no, card. I'll never know how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to talk this week about our review in focus, and it's actually a review that I conducted on the KISS system that was housed within a Canyon Spectral. So for those that don't know, this isn't a headset damper. This is just a spring housed inside the frame that keeps the bars straight. Um, we've kind of had it kicking about the office for a little while. We've had it, I mean, since the snow came and then I hurt my leg and I couldn't review it, etc. But I've been kind of coming back to it and back and forth. And we actually had two identical bikes, one with the system, one without. So it's this really cool way to test. I was quite damning. Kaz, you also gave it a bit of a ride. Mm, yeah, I've ridden it oh, one time. We had that one, one yeah. good ride a couple months ago, but... Um, I would also be quite damning of it as far as it, it does different things, but I don't know if it does enough. If you were listing a, a list of pros and cons, I feel like the cons list would be greater than the pros. There mm. are some good things and I, you lay them out well in your review, but I also think that it makes the riding experience so different than what all of us are used to. And if you go back to a regular bike, after you've been riding a bike with a kiss system, it's a whole different thing too. It's going be tricky. I think mm-hmm. that the, a big part of this system is to overcome the idea of handlebar flop. So it, it needs to go on the Grim Donut. It needs mm-hmm. to go on a bike with a ridiculous flop because that yeah. thing is crazy to ride, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I think, you know, we, you spoke about it, how the Canyon Spectral that it's specced on, it's actually a really nice, neutral, easy to live with bike without the KISS system. So you're kind of putting it on something that doesn't need it necessarily. It's kind of trying to like make a Ferrari go faster or something, you know, it's that yeah. kind of thing. It doesn't really make sense. But if you could, yeah, like you said, a, a Grim Donut or maybe even something maybe on a steeper bike, like an XC bike, if you tried to do that, so that it doesn't quite feel as twitchy sometimes. Yeah. I've ridden it on e-bikes a decent bit and liked it in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Not with it like fully on, like full, you can, you can turn the system on way harder than you'd ever, ever want to run, like to where it's like boinging back and forth, but like with it somewhat engaged, like the springs are locked in. I really liked it on the e-bike because it's the chassis overall is like a lot heavier. It just feels like a different thing entirely. And I don't ride e-bikes a ton. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like a nice neutral feeling thing. Well, yeah, when we spoke about this well, because I'm right in thinking, just to well, clarifying that those are the ones that was like cable tied on the top tube. Yeah, which I think is a better, it looks weird and mm-hmm. ugly, but it's but, much nicer than having it forced on you. Well, that's it. And I also feel that because those ones, you can actually take it to zero influence. Yeah. Every time I rode it and I put it in the lowest, I actually rode it in the lowest setting and I found that's the happiest place, but it kept improving. I wonder if I could go halfway between zero and low, if that right. would actually be mm. better again and maybe yeah. help cherry pick some of the attributes. Um, I think on e-bikes, it does make loads of sense. I think especially when you have bikes, when you ride something steep perhaps, and there's so much mass in the down tube, it wants to almost pivot around, around the head tube and overtake it. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, did you ever give headset dampers or anything a go? In your racing, would you be curious? What What's your take on them? Yeah, I'm always open to trying new tech that's out there. 
I haven't had a go on the, these bikes yet, but, um, yeah, I was going to ask you like, where do you think the pros and cons would be, uh, between this and like a dam system? Because I haven't tried either. Mm. So mm. yeah, I'd be curious to try them, but I'm also really curious why Canyon went down the spring route and didn't add any damping to it. Yeah. I think it just needs to be damped. I mean, it's, it really is, you know, you know, the whole thing, you know, the gyroscopic effect, it feels like it enhances that at lower speeds. It feels like there was a set of stabilizers on the front wheel and all you've got to do is balance through your hips and the, the front will sort itself. So it means that then you can put loads of weight on the rear, but there's some turns around here that sadly I couldn't film on because they're not, they're not like sanctioned trails and I didn't want to, you know, go down that route, but they're really, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the turns are after the podcast. So basically you can absolutely ride them so hard. You feel like you're going to get high sided, you know, but the bike's just breaking out. But with the yeah. gear system, the, the, the chance of being high sided because of that return it does start to, to approach one mm. pretty quickly. Did Canyon explain to you why they didn't add any damping though? Because like we've seen the Hopi ones, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, there's like, like Bubar's one that's on. If I was yeah. a more right at my job, I, I, I would have asked. <laughs> but I was so busy critiquing. I just, just critique City, baby. There was no room for, um, for consideration. <laughs> I, talked with, I talked with Fabian a bit about it when we were doing the press camp for those new e-bikes. And I, I got the sense that like they weren't looking to like it was they were trying to achieve something different than damping yes. which is to me just like a missed goal in that way but I, I think they were they were keen on something that like returns to center not on slowing the steering outboard but i also heard fabian burrell say and maybe this is i'm misattributing it but it was uh burrell or, or someone high Words coming out of Canyon basically saying that it helped mm-hmm. improve the connection between the front and after the bike. Yeah, they talked about that a lot. Which I, if, if we think about how suspension works, like it's one thing to go into the stroke. It's another thing to go into the, in, in a controlled manner mm-hmm. and I actually think resistance, not in terms of um, positioning, but in terms of rates would help me give that, that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like the, yeah, the damping definitely is the most interesting. I mean, or a damped element to that because... And I think that, like you were saying, you wish it had almost a 0.5 setting. Mm. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing. If you go extreme with anything at the front end, as humans and riders, it's, we're pretty, we can notice little subtle changes really easily. I feel like even yeah. in a beginning rider, if there's some resistance, you can feel that. So I don't think you need a, a drastic, like super damped or super spring loaded mm-hmm. thing because it's your brain doesn't expect that basically. And I think you even mentioned a part where you felt seasick at yeah. one point because it kind of got like the, the <laughs> yawning back that? and forth. It, I felt that I didn't get seasick, but definitely on climbs. I think you liked it climbing better than I did, but I would have it if you had like a, a tight switchback where you kind of go to counter steer, you know, turn your wheel to the left and then right. It would just be a weird kind of like, almost like a drunk motion. Just like kind of like mm-hmm. weedy no- thing that you're not, your brain's not used to it. So I think it's, I, I'm not convinced you would really ever totally get used to it. Or if you did, then like you said, you go back to a regular bike and you're confused. And how would you guys, did you guys try to go no handed on it? Yeah, it's weird. It's yeah, very strange. weird. If you're going fast, it's fine. But if you're, if you're not, it's kind of feels like a tight headset like if you ever had like a, a notchy <laughs> yeah, headset where the bike just kind of like that's how to do it for our listeners mm-hmm. just go to a loose caged uh-huh. bearings mm-hmm. just take all the grease out and just talk it up nice and tight yep. um, yeah i feel like we could talk about we need to talk about headset dampers and things more in the ilk another time but actually although we recorded it a couple of days ago so maybe we did discuss it but we're going to talk about the cyclical nature of the bike industry and trends mm-hmm. that just keep on coming back so we recorded this two or three days ago but that was about 700 ice lollies ago. 
and lots and lots of breakfast cereal and um, the sugar has clearly clearly got to me um thank you very much for listening and i hope you enjoy it Hello and welcome to what is actually the Pink Bike Field Test. We're all in Whistler, so we thought we'd do a good old local one. We've got the Bellingham Boys. hey Hello. <laughs> I think you need to have like an even lamer call, like, Kazow! <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Beer here is as well. And, um, and I'm also, you know, making up the numbers. So this week, we've got some of the latest and greatest enduro bikes. And some of the features on them could be termed as hmm we might have seen them before so kaz you've been you've been in the game for a while you started doing bikes in 1953 <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some of the things that we're seeing now that you could easily identify as being the, at least the second time around i think well mixed wheels off the top of my head that's the easiest one we've seen mixed wheels they've probably come around a couple times before realistically because there was 24 and 26 and then yeah so yeah mixed wheels and do you think there was the big hit, 26, 24, yeah. 24, Even before 26. that, there, Cannondale had a bike in the 80s that had mixed wheels. Mm, the Penny Farthing as well. That also had mixed wheels. They're going yeah. way back. So far, the most yeah, progressive. That's what I learned on. I learned the on the most mixed. So the most very, progressive mixed wheel yeah. bike we've ever it seen. It was very mixed. <laughs> no. and, um, and of course, Gary Fisher did the 96er. 96er? 69er. Was it the 69er? Yeah, they leaned in, have... which is awesome. Mm. I tried to buy one of those like a year and a half ago. <laughs> Commit to the bit, eh, Dario? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt, what is one of what's something that you're observing at the moment that because we we get this in the a lot in the comments, right? Our viewers think we've seen this before. What the fuck, bike industry? Think of something new. Yeah. What's something else you think that is a fair criticism that we have seen before? Well, <laughs> this comes at a timely time, but aluminum cranks are back. Mm. We've seen lots of carbon ones in the past couple of years, and then I guess most apparent is that new transmission crank from ceram the xo so true but it looks very futuristic doesn't it look does. like a an old the whole old style aluminum one who would have thought hey what makes it look good is a bottle opener in the middle <laughs> that's what people want <laughs> Put some holes in it it'll sell yeah right. dario what's what's something that you think is a fair cop that you know what we have seen before high pivots with high idlers pivot. mm. i think that's like over and over again but we're in like a big swell right now mm. or with like forbiddens druid and some of those others, I think. And then yeah. we're now in like like Trek's newest enduro bike is a high pivot. I mean, similar to, you know, that Forbidden Druid was really hot on it. You know what? Of all the things I would have thought another bike brand would have borrowed from that bike, it wouldn't have been the electric pylon of a seat mast, which, hmm. who know, just couldn't help themselves. Apparently, we've got that bike on test and that's going to be exciting that's, to get that's into. It's got some seat. It's got some You're getting your money's worth in terms of carbon fiber. Yeah. <laughs> just make it taller. Um, so how this podcast is going to work is we're going to go around the group and we're going to talk about something that we're very glad that came back for at least a second bite. And we're also going to talk about something that would actually maybe even like to return. I'm sure there are product managers everywhere hanging off each and every word and they can then, you know, make products for next year, I guess. <laughs> um, who wants to go first? Dario, you're a... You're a rambunctious chap, rambunctious chap. <laughs> what is something that you're glad has come around again? Does it have to be of the three we just said or just anything in general? Anything in general. Mm. It's the thing that 
just before starting this podcast, I said, right, everyone pick your <laughs> thing to bring up at the podcast. Well, I just, I guess I just said high pivots. I, I don't, but I'm yeah, not, that can be a thing. Like, yeah, I'm not like a huge high pivot stand. I'm not going to like die on that hill, but mm -hmm. they do ride very well and they do certain things really well. And like the current ones do those things better than the old ones did. So in a way it's like, it's good that it had a resurgence because they've improved upon the technology. And why do you think more brands aren't, because hmm, the brands, it feels somewhat dogmatic, brands approach to it. Literally been, yeah. being quoted as witchcraft, right? But then other brands aren't going it. Some, I think some brands have kind of got an axe to grind in that they're going out there with, you know, Santa Cruz, for instance, made a big deal that we tried it. We bloody well tried it and we mm -hmm. didn't like it. Thank you very much. Do you think that the perfect sort of conceptual enduro or downhill bike does have a high pivot? No, no, I don't think so. Mm. But for the people that really want that, that's cool. I guess mm. <laughs> I know this is like fence sitting, but they do no. have a more polarizing ride quality than, yeah. say, like a an FSR bike yeah. compared to a VPP bike. Yeah, for you know, considering yeah, there's a bigger difference on the, the same. Yeah, right. like if you yeah. hop on a high pivot bike, it's going to ride different. Than I think that's part of why they're so popular too. Yeah, there's like a distinct difference in a time when like a lot of things are becoming a bit more homogenous. You're like, oh, this is like clearly a different sensation yeah and for better or worse yeah and a lot of times it's i mean maybe not better but different in a good way because you can kind of plow and plowing through rocks and just blasting down the trail is pretty fun so mm. yeah i think it's just a place for it um yeah uh, and what would you say with some because people will always come into the comments and say the brooklyn yep. that's one i think trek been doing them for a little while um we're recording this um we actually just did a christina did a video sort of a sort of featured piece from Trek explaining high pivots on enduro bikes and what it allows to do, um, which is worth checking out, just an educational piece as much as anything. Um, Brooklyn was a big brand for this and it's quite meaningful. What were the, who were the other players that we can think of maybe on the first time of asking that had a high pivot? Yeah, I mean, like even going back further, there was uh, the, the Sun, mm. that old bike that Nico used to ride. The Radical maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in there, there was, there was a bunch of like sort of more niche brands like Brooklyn. There was like Cliff Cat. Uh, Balfa was definitely seen a lot out there. Um, other ones, I'm trying to think. There was the New Zealand brand that had the pube inside the frame. Lahar. Yeah. And Canada had that kind of, was it actually a high pivot? It had the two chains. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. Oh, two chains, two links. Yeah. I'm not sure if that actually was a high pivot though. I have to look at that. But yeah, mm. definitely like having that late 90s early to mid 2000s there was a fair number of but also maybe there's a, a distinction to be like you know a bike that has a high pivot that's equipped with an idler then there's medium height bikes that are equipped with idler and also medium height bikes that aren't equipped with idlers mm -hmm. sometimes the difference mm -hmm. between a, a pivot on those medium middling to high you know pivot bikes isn't that different um yeah. What, Dario, to your mind, is a good execution that, you know, they've come around second time of asking, but, you know, to be fair, they've done their homework and they made a really good job of it. Uh, I'd say that, I mean, I just wrote a piece on it and I've been writing it a lot. Like that new Trek Slash is a well-executed high pivot mm. in a lot of ways. You know, there's areas of improvement with anything. Do you think it's a bit too interesting for Trek? It's surprising, for sure. They, but they, they made it pretty Trekky. Like it's like thought out and like sculpted know, carbon. Sculpt, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Maybe too sculpted. It's like my beef with it is it still makes a lot of noise. 
Mm. I think that's like my beef with high pivots generally is like pedaling and descending. There's a lot of noise going on. Yes. Okay. Um, the new Druid seems. The like new Druid a, is a gorgeous bike as well. Like a well thought out thing. Hmm. Guys, you had the, we spoke about recently on the podcast. There's the Cavins a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Yeah. That seemed uh, like a pretty sorted bike. Hey? Yeah. That was nice. I really liked what they did with that. And then since then they've kind of had a few other iterations, longer travel. And I think even longer, longer travel is what I saw recently, but that one was pretty neat. Small company. Um, yeah. So that was, that was well done. And then I guess the Norco range, that was another mm-hmm. bike that, like that bike. a little more mainstream, but big kind of brute of a bike, but I liked how that bike rode. And, um, so if we go into your thing that you'd, you're sort of happy has come back around, mm-hmm. what would be your submission? Yeah, well, I can expand on the mixed wheels one. I'm really happy that mixed wheels have become more common, especially for longer travel bikes. I don't think they're necessary for your shorter cross-country bikes or even trail bikes for most people. But I think for, I don't know, let's say any bike over 170 mils of travel, I think mixed wheels is the way to go. And then, mm. um, yeah, I just, at least for me, the way I ride in, in steep terrain, I really prefer the way that you kind of sit over the rear wheel. What does the smaller rear wheel do for you with more travel? Is it like where you're riding that bike? Well, I don't want to, you know, the criticism of low hanging fruit is very apt because it's a very easy criticism to make, but that's exactly what it gets for me. I just get tapped in the sensitive areas, like nobody's business on anything above like 160 mil travel. Maybe no, maybe 170. Once you go from downhill, once mm-hmm. you get into the downhill range, like I try my V10, 29. And honestly, I came back sound like a choir boy. It was, it was quite intense. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have too much trouble with like, as far as tire buzz or seat buzz, I have like longer legs, but it is nice just to have a little more room. And I think just the way for me, it's the cornering and the steeps, the way that the, the feel of the bike is almost geometry aside, just focusing on the wheels. It's a little bit more room and you kind of get your weight over it a little bit better. At least the bikes that I've ridden. So yeah. but I, sorry, go there. I think just like my, the only exception that comes to mind in the like travel thing is the 5010. I spent quite a lot of time on that bike on the new one that's mixed wheel. And I think there like the logic is applied differently as opposed to like taking a what would otherwise be a 29er and putting a small wheel on the back. They're like, "Oh, this is a 275 bike, but we can get better ride characteristics by putting a big wheel out front and maximize the like fun aspect of it." And that bike was sick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was yeah, I like them for both for most bikes, but I think it's more I appreciate it more in the longer travel bikes. Yeah, but like my, I, I tend to agree. That's just like yeah. one short travel bike that I was happy was not full 29 yep. or full 27.5. Like, great. This like my Fuel EX, I've been running at Mollet all summer. And uh-huh. It's 140 rear travel, 160. And so what do you lose? Do you feel like you lose anything in terms of pedaling performance? Not necessarily pedaling. There's probably speed maybe in some places, like on the flats or maybe even, it's so hard to say, like hey, for racing, in some instances, I think you you could make a good argument in some instances, full 29. For enduro racing, full 29 could be faster, but mm-hmm. I'm not convinced it'd be faster for downhill. Well, this is the thing. If you imagine, you know, an 80 kilogram, you know, hunk of, or sack of bone and flesh, it's driving with quite a lot of force. And will, like, I think with the times I hang up, I, I, I like it on the, a larger wheel on the front. I like, I don't like the feeling of stalling on something very slow. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, like, I don't have to lift the, the rear wheel in the same way, perhaps. Um, so Matt, I feel like I'm on a bit of a, you know, a campaign run to try and make you race World Cup downhill again. Um, not happening. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> yeah, we can Masters World Champ. Can you do that? Oh yeah, maybe that one. Yeah, let's that's get different. your World Champ stripes. I think yeah. Nice. yeah. What, um, what downhill bike would you pick of the current flock? 
And would it be a full 29 or would it be mixed wheeled? Well, yeah, I just reviewed that Prime Rocket, which is a full 29er as I wrote it, but they are working on a mullet link and there is a shorter rider, Taylor Vernon, who's uh, I think like two inches shorter than me, like 5'7". So he's riding that mullet configuration, Prime Rocket. So yeah, one bike, I don't know, there's so many good ones out there, it'd be hard to choose. You've been spending some more time on that descent as well. There's the Atherton bike. Yeah. These are sort of yeah. quite zeitgeisty bikes right now. For sure. Yeah, a couple bikes, I guess, could do both. So that was pretty neat to try. Um, Don't go fence sitting, Matt. V10. V10? No, probably that Antidote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a really good bike. Mm. One you had to ride, like, it'd be pretty turned on to ride it, though. Like, mm. I'm going to go fast today kind of thing. And would that be mixed wheeled or not? Mixed wheel. Yeah. 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 So do you think that, do you think that the, the benefits of a full 29 are negligible or do you think they're offset by the fact you're so much more comfortable? Because when a big wheel is spinning, I, I feel, or maybe it's just me, you can kind of get a sense <laughs> that it's just closer to your legs. Even if I never tap, I always feel like maybe it's a bit of a turbulence or something. Maybe it's my big slack Fred Durst jeans getting caught on the tread. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But there's, I get a sense of it that hmm. I am going to just get absolutely nailed by that big old wheel. Yeah, I definitely got buzzed a little bit more on the rocket and I hadn't really been paying attention to it or thinking about it much because I had been on the nuke-proof descent, which was set up as a mullet. So yeah, it can come back to haunt you and bite you pretty quick. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I'm like a little taller than y'all and I like never think about tire buzz, but did get buzzed today by a bike. First time in like in memory and it does suck. I, I get it, but I think if you're like my height range, maybe that's less the, the reason, but I still like a mullet bike just because it's nice to have like that cornering sensation. Yeah. I, it's funny. I think when 150, 160 mil, I tend not to suffer from it. But as soon as I go to a downhill bike, I'm, it's very, I'm very, very, very cognizant of it. Um, Matt, what is your thing? You're very glad that's come back around. Are you going to say alloy cranks? Yeah. We talked about another one. We talked about uh, air shocks coming back. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the alloy cranks, that one's pretty obvious. Can you uh, tell us about your wonderful white ride at the weekend? Because <laughs> there's this trail that both, this kind of high alpine trail in BC that's very exciting. It's sort of an amazing piece of trail. And you and I, have, I would say we're both people that tend to ride non-e-bikes more than e-bikes. Yeah. And we both thought, fuck it. We're going on a big e-bike adventure and neither of us has made it to the bottom without severe mechanicals <laughs> on e-bikes. <laughs> I did the E295 challenge, which is where Shimano motor dies. And then you just have to climb for an hour and it's just horrible and you, you know, sweat vinegar out your eyeballs. How was your fantastic Alpine mission? Well, I made it to the top without any issues, but Perfect. I did have a mechanical that was unforeseen. My, my rider error, but sort of one that came out of the blue. So I set off once I got into the woods after this beautiful Alpine descent. And I just happened to snag a pedal on this low-lying stump that was hidden behind a bush. Going like, you know, walking pace, really. And mm. it just latched on and snapped the crank. So this is from a brand. The last time we reviewed it, we snapped a crank. Yeah. but Different I mean, brand. Rider error, potentially. Same brand of bike, different brand of crank. And... Yeah, one was an overload on the system, and then this was, well, also an overload, but like, you know, rider error. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, it definitely was yeah. rider error. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so how how did you get down? Did you just I well the crank actually Were you didn't... pissed off? Yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, we had yeah. pedaled still with e-bikes, we had still pedaled for about four hours to get up there. And then uh, it was a beautiful day. Enjoyed the single track at the top and then yeah, I kind of had to like limp down on what was left of the crank and just kind of stood on the nub of broken oh, carbon shards. <laughs> Sucks. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned air shocks. Can you talk us through your thinking about that? Because some people will be, I'm thinking, wait a minute, air shocks have always been there. Yeah, they, always, they, they have been there. But, you know, we saw this rise in, in coil popularity for enduro bikes because of their, you know, sort of forgiveness and suppleness at the beginning of the travel and you know, it's obviously dependent on the bike and what works better for that kinematic. But now we're sort of, yeah, it's a big <laughs> important, part of it. <laughs> very important. They, they how it works. And yeah, now we're starting to see you know the long travel shock uh, category come back, like with this vivid. Um, Olin's even stepped in. You know, they haven't done like a, a downhill spec, but we just tested their uh, TTX Air. On a, on a Nomad, which is a 170 travel bike. So it's not like they're, not like any of the brands are just sort of sticking to the um, shorter travel bikes with air shocks any, anymore. Like they're coming into full 200 mil travel bikes. And Kaz, we've seen some, so traditionally for those that don't, people that don't know, you tend to be able to get, I would say, more mid-stroke out of a coil shock. But we've seen brands try and make their air shocks more coil-like. Which is some, somehow strange in some ways because it feels like it wasn't so long ago. They were saying, oh my God, air's so progressive. What do you think this has come from? Do you think that it's sort of like, you know, bike design has changed a lot over the last couple of years? Do you think that air shocks are actually as good as coil ultimately? Yeah, I think it kind of depends what you're going for. I think you can probably get a coil shock to feel more sensitive just because there's less, um, less stiction initially in the travel because of lack of, there's fewer seals on a coil shock. But I think again these days modern air shocks are super i think the adjustment is what makes them better for most riders most of the time just the fact that you can go you know a couple psi in different directions like your spring rate's only adjustable at the most i think 25 pound increments between different springs and it's just um kind of just more of a pain where you can get an air shock pretty close to a coil and then you don't have to have a stack of springs and at the end the end result is just less time fussing around and more time riding. But also that 25 pound is working the assumption that it's made within a good tolerance. Yeah, exactly. You have have to try different springs. And yeah, I think overall just the, the concept with a lot of people think coil shock, once you get it set, it's kind of set and forget, ideally less, less maintenance than air shock. But I don't think at the end of the day, I don't know, we've come to a good place where air shocks work well for most applications. And Dario, you said they're pretty cool. You've got a mustache, which I believe is... Well, I said they're pretty... I think a lot of people are making the choice because of aesthetics. But go ahead and talk about my mustache. Like um, I think coil shocks because of aesthetics? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, we do mustaches. 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 Like, yeah. Not, yeah. I don't have this for any practical yeah. reason except like yeah. maybe sweat collection or something. <laughs> but. Um, do you think that... How to put this? What, what is it about a coil shock? Is it literally just a look or do you think it's what it represents to the rider? You know, I mean, like, mm. oh, bomb-proof coil shock, and I'm just the kind of guy that I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. Mm. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm a big, tough man. I got a big old coil shock on my bike. Hashtag mm. on coil. And that's, like, backed up by the actual utility of it. Like, they do tend to be a bit more durable than air shocks. Like, you can kind of ignore a coil shock and, like, get a little bit more life out of it, as opposed to, like, an air shock that will degrade maybe a little quicker. And why... 
just whilst on this topic, because I feel maybe like, in, you know, inverse of this, there were coil downhill forks and then they went away. Mm-hmm. And around maybe 2017 onwards, maybe 2018, 2019, you started seeing like certain systems that allowed you to put a coil in, mm-hmm. in your fork. Gaz, did you get a ride on many of those coil conversion kits? And what, what did you think? Yeah, I think uh, I rode the push system. It was called the AC33, AC3. Yeah, I rode that. Um, I've ridden it with a Z1 coil. Lots of that there. Yeah, so I've ridden them, and it's fine. But again, I think it comes down to adjustability. Like you're still going to be locked in between different spring rates. So just the fact that you can't just let a little air out or add a little bit to get the fork to feel like you want. Um, again, though, with a coil spring, you do get that little bit more sensitive off the top feeling. Um, so for some riders, it's a great option. But mm. I think for me, I'd probably, if I was going to pick, I'd rather have a, a coil fork and a air shock. If I had to have one oh, piece really? of coil. Like oh. made, made optimal. Yeah. If I had one, like if I had to go with one coil. Because I do like that. You know, your, your first point of impact is that fork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that if that has that I don't that like nice... a coil top end, but like the support on coil forks is never enough for me. Yeah. So yeah. I was going to say, because like the fork is linear. Whereas yeah. like rear suspension, well, like the AT3 system, that. let you adjust the bottom out with it, which is kind of nice. I know, but it's like I want like the fifty percent. Yeah, like a half, like a hybrid. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's been efforts to do that, but yeah. they're we'll see what Push yeah. is doing. I mean, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Oh, they've got that inverted fork. Inverted, it could be yeah. everything. That is talk about trends going back around. That's a trend that either is resilient or refuses to die. I, I don't. Yeah, quite it's hard know to which. say if it's back around. I think it's never... just, it's been simmering. Yeah. Seems that way at least. It's a great way to harvest internet points though. Yeah, exactly. The looks are definitely, people like the, mm-hmm. like how things look and that's one of them. What, do they, do they look, do they look good? Uh, I think, I think <laughs> so. <laughs> do they? I don't know. Well, it's, I mean, similar to like the coil shock, it's like, it's like a moto influence thing. Uh, so you're yeah. like, oh, sick. Yeah, like sick. Yeah. Fork. Yes. Fucking bash guards are a thing. Same deal. I mean, like I think they're good. Like brush guards work. But oh, brush guards. Yeah, I thought like you meant under the chain ring. No, I was no, like, no, that's no, pretty no. practical. No, 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 no. no brush yeah. guards. In sorry. front of your hands. Yeah. yeah. Little, little mittens. Uh, yeah, it's all like moto stuff. And who's brushing you in these instances? <laughs> I have plenty of people brushing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going to get the broom. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my submission of things I'm kind of glad came back around. They never really went away, but I think there was a trend where flat bars... Mm. were quite on trend and I didn't think much of it and I'm glad that high rise bars have come back and actually we see things like 35 mil rise bars and they're not even considered high low. rise yeah. what's, what's Dario? You... Mustache guy says 50 mil is high rise it, 50 has, mil is it starts there yeah 40 is like normal 40 is normal mm-hmm. 35 is also normal <laughs> I've got a buddy who's on some 80s 80s yeah. yes 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 yes, yes. About time to get the crossbar out. Maybe get one of the moto I foam. A, I have a set of the DD yeah. 80 mils. There you go. We were just talking. They're Dario, a dirt jumper, though. Yeah. So it, Dario and I were talking to a guy the other day. Though, like, uh, he's a home frame builder. He has a, a business building frames, but he's talking about making some steel or titanium bars with little cross sprays. Yeah, nice. Put I, some foam on there, and then that'd oh, yeah, be like that'd be cool. With the hand guards. Oh yeah. Inverted fork. That'd be. That'd so top I, off the moto look. My logic, uh, I, I, I agree with yours strongly. I think flat bars were silly. It makes sense maybe for cross country. Because you like high rise bars and then you roll them back so far that the rise becomes pretty much parallel <laughs> yeah, to the ground, flat. right? <laughs> no, yeah. I, roll, I roll them the correct way, which is like in plane with the head angle of the bike. Can I say that there is a conspiracy afoot? There is a 
God damn it, Dario, you've triggered me. You've triggered me and I'm just... Come I'm at right, me on this. Right I on know edge, I'm right. I'm right on the edge. There is a conspiracy where neutral, what neutral is, which is what I ride, is actually on the limit of the markings because the people playing the markings clearly don't they're fucking talking about. No, they're correct. Like, they're... The rise, Dario, please let me have my moment. <laughs> the rise is up. So when the rise is up, that's in its most neutral position. That's not in its most forward position. And then people say, <laughs> I ride my bars neutral. And no, they're just a slave to the, de- the misdickering of handlebars throughout the land. I'm with you. It's <laughs> yeah. nonsense. Because we ride our bars fairly similar. Yeah. Up neutral. the way they should be. Yeah, so you maximize the rise. Yeah. Mm. yeah. The commenters agreed with me. They don't know. When we all rode no. each other's bikes that in plane yeah, with no, the head I mean, angles. No, we get to be right on this one. Yeah. So what does also, the markings on bars. Like, 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 when you look at it you from can, side If you on. look at it from above, the like flat profile of the bar, like it's where it's sweeping up and out. So between the, basically the larger size of the ball and where the back sweep begins. Yeah. It's like the, the like, if you could put a piece of paper and keep it flat on the bars, like that yeah. plane is in. But why is it called rise then? If it's diagonal? Well, up yeah. is up is up. It's yeah, so all, that's it can also be exactly. Yeah, bars point up. Rise is up. But there's, yeah. but there's like up sweep and back sweep and rise and like bar geometry is a super murky thing. Like we have a, a couple sets on the on the bikes here that like have weird, very weird yeah, sweeps we, to them. I remember actually this morning we watched the sunrise and you said, "Wow, it's weird the sun's going vertically when actually it should be at a forty five degree angle." <laughs> I will say up. it's late enough in the year that it is rising at a forty five degree <laughs> angle. So you're wrong on that. I know I'm correct. <laughs> oh no. shit! No, I mean but, I am happy. I am happy to die on this hill. Because people say, like, <laughs> and people, the neutral bit, it, it's they're just the mystic run of handlebars. I mean, sometimes the handlebar stickers aren't even in the middle. Yeah, that bothers me. I've <laughs> like, never looked at the stickers on the handlebars. It's just like, where does it feel right? Yeah. You're good. But I want the stickers to be in the center, or the markings should be in the center. And yeah, then, the center markings. Yeah, not yeah, yeah like, center. we want to get them centered, but, yeah. like, I'm not, but like, not using every those does. to rule my life. Like, I don't look at the one-up bars and be like, oh, great, it's a 62-degree head angle. I'm going to, like, line them up with that. Because it's never... No. Like, it's just not the way. What does yours end up? Does one up mark them correctly? I don't know. I don't look at them. Oh. I look underneath handlebar to, to get a better view of the rise. <laughs> you drill a hole through it and see yeah. where... I yeah. do by periscope, actually. Yeah, if you line it up yeah. with the sun at noon, then... Yeah, basically, my whole bike is a sundial. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, I haven't committed to the, like, 80 mil risers, but I like... I kind of like the logic of slamming your stem right to the top of the head tube and then trying to get any stack out of bars because then you're getting like full frame reach and not compensating with like but a bunch of spacers well that's good it's also very inconsistent correct um yeah. especially when people put on stickers willy nilly why though would you want to go for a <laughs> high-rise bar is it just to maximize get that? the front end up i mean just if you're like riding end. steep trails or you're like someone who likes an upright riding style mm. you know but what, what does Plenty that reason? But what does that what does it do? Oh, I don't know. Like come like fucking out there. Whatever, whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. No, <laughs> I don't, like, I'm not coming out here being like, oh, scientifically this is the best no, but, like, dude, thing. Wait. But I, I think for me, Go on. I feel stronger and more composed on the bike when like my torso is a bit higher up. Mm. And when this I'm like hunched down like a little like golem over the bar, like flat bars, yeah. I feel like uh Less in control. This is good, Dario. Was that? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> we figured it out. There yeah. you go. Can we go, 
Does your bar roll change if you raise it up and down the steer tube? Slightly. Yeah. yeah. If only if it's like drastic. Okay. Mm. But like No, not well, it shouldn't, no, because it's in plane with the head angle. So like if I if I were to put it like say on a bike that has like a really long steer tube, I went like from top of head tube to like mm. five inches above that, I would probably change the roll a bit. Mm. Yes. But that's because I'm doing something stupid and I'm gonna have to compensate <laughs> for that. Yeah. Like, I run, like, the 40 mil Renthal bars on a lot of bikes because, like, I like them. I know how they feel. It's, like, a good, consistent cockpit yeah. across test bikes. I spend a lot of time on the downhill bike last year with 38 mil rise bars. And about 220 between the seal and the lower crown. So very high, high front. Absolutely loved it. I couldn't incorporate what I needed to get the best out of that bike, like the riding habits, and then go ride like normal trail bikes. And, and so I've gone lower on my downhill bike now, only for consistency across oh, bikes. Oh, yeah. I, I can't, can see that. I just, I loved it when it was there, when I was into it, but now it feels absolutely fucking awful. <laughs> I mean, part of it is that it. I've like boiled the frog, and now I'm like, I need the front end. Mm. Mm. And that's just like, bike fit does that all the time. It's the same with like my saddle. It's like, crazy nose down yeah but if i ride a flat saddle i feel but, like like my fucking pelvis is gonna snap off but why do you dip the nose can you talk through we climb hills sitting down and i want yeah, but your my hands saddle raise to as be well. flat do your hands stay the same height it doesn't matter where my hands are it's about my ass my ass are. is on a flat <laughs> surface because i'm going your bike sags of course it matters dude if you were went up for something really steep your whole bike your your, your front wheel lifts when you go uphill yeah you guys are living living on different planes, and my you got the weird, bike different bars, different saddle, and you've got the other opposite. Yeah, problem. true. <laughs> One of us is right, and it's me. Yeah. <laughs> and and th- I, I will, I will fucking die on the nose down saddle hill. You might die on it. Yeah, but, hold on. But I sorry. know it's ugly. It's I will not, say that much. I know it D- looks. Dario, I've seen your bike. It's the least of its fucking worries. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't we want? Don't we want the, you know, not, I'm not saying we want to be, you know, driving the bike with our perenniums, but we also, the, the higher, if the saddle's neutral, then as it comes up and we go on it, it's more leverage pushing it. Pushing yeah. the front end, pushing the front end down. Last oh, no there, so. way. Yeah, I, I, my hands are for and for my torso. <laughs> no, I don't care. The, the saddle is there to sit on. It's not okay. like a control item while climbing, aside from like rare moments where you're like perched up mm. or like. Well, you can't perch up on yours. You can only perch down. I can perch up. No, because like on, if I'm climbing something steep, <laughs> it still has a backwards angle. It's just not as like interesting, awfully yeah. backwards as yours. Yeah. Everybody just has I to get those. I will say, yours is pretty things. nose down too. Yeah, no, we're not yeah. that far. I just have the we're right, not that far right set up because mine's like the best of everybody's. Just distilled sure, in course, my bike. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I um, I just don't. So the bike is neutral, right? Do you and set the, your saddle up dead flat. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to do, I I used to do that, okay. and then my friend Carl told me to put Fucking my nose Carl. down. Here we go Carl again. again. Back yeah. with sweet Carl. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I hope Carl listens to this, because it's probably the proudest moment in his life, was convincing, <laughs> conv- convincing me to, to put the nose on my saddle down, because I was like, firmly no. Like, flat is correct, because yeah, I like, correct. came from like a road bike fit background, mm-hmm. like that's my understanding, and that's like why you run a flat saddle, is because of road bikes. But we climb... Mountains on our mountain yeah, bikes, but what? But the, the front end goes in. higher. The front end goes yes, higher, but the back sags. 
It doesn't well, matter just, where the front is. Yeah, exactly. the front end goes the higher though. It does get more level. The seat, yeah. the seat's like this. So as the front end goes up, it goes. If you could see my hands, I'm yeah, but doing then a good you're, you've got more weight in you. It's it just it doesn't make any sense. Like if a bike fits you on the flat, mm-hmm. it would it would make sense if it was like a you know if you didn't have a front end that was consistent to the ground height. Because then you want to kind of move on a plane. You can't see the hand movements, guys. <laughs> but the fact is that the thing that alleviates the discomfort of anything should you have it is the the front end of the bike raises too. It's on the same angle. The axles yeah, on the same. Yeah, but you're sitting more by your logic. Then you're sitting more weight on your butt. What you do on your perineum, like gouging out your your gooch. Gouging on your, is a like, strong word. Nose up saddle. It's not no. nose up. It's neutral. Did you try that? Switch grade after. Yeah, I I, yeah. I run the switch grade on my Yeti. It's awesome. I can run it flat on the flats, nose down on the climbs where it, that is correct. And then I can do nose up on the descents if I want. I usually don't because like you get caught out in weird climbing bits sometimes and then it feels kind of funny. But like, yeah, that's a great product. I think it makes sense. It would I wouldn't keep run it on here every happy. bike because it's like, it's another thing to think about. I'm already like, okay, drop her down. Like, you're thinking through all the, the checklists. I don't want another item necessarily. Yes, no, but like, yeah, nose down is correct on the climbs. Nose down is. Also, I have long enough legs that like descending with like a 200 mil post like that it never gets in my way. I don't. Mm-hmm. People in the comments are like, oh, but you're going to hit your, 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 your pee pee on the saddle <laughs> when you're going downhill. I'm like, I've never had that happen because mm-hmm. I have Lucky long legs and I'm. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, we need yeah. big seats to come back. We're talking about comebacks. Yeah, like, I mean, we have know, like, like the Chromax saddle has a huge. <laughs> yeah, the old Tioga, it's like foot long. We yeah. also have that yeah. weird saddle on the Nikolai. Yeah, we've got the Squidward. Yeah, that yeah. thing looks like um, it's like it looks like it's modeled off a, a Star Wars battleship, like some kind of two pronged yeah. thing. It's it's almost it's very weird. It's really just like the Futurama guy with his little yeah, it's yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. But anyway, where were we? Rise of bars. Uh, rise of bars. More <laughs> rise is nice. I think that the more rise thing is kind of a trend that people are realizing that being upright is nice going uphill and downhill. And I think that we're seeing front ends of bikes get taller, but for a while they weren't very tall in general. So the riser bars help. And even now, I don't think there's, there's an upper limit, but I think, yeah, 35 is pretty normal these days. And then most of us are. Right. on XC bikes are getting taller too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But so even then, even that's amongst like, that cohort. That, but a tall, a high riser bar on an XC bike. I think we're going to do another podcast about how XC bikes are changing, but like a, even on like a, a down country bike to use that word in my spur, I'd run a 40 mil bar because that would put me in a nice, more upright position. Do so, you think all that rise in, or like, sorry, the trend in riser bars coming back in is because bikes are more stable now? Do you think like a lower rise bar on a smaller, say like Sam Hills, like Iron Horse Sunday, 26 inch wheels, short wheelbase, do you think like the lower gave it more stability? I think it's, Absolutely. I think that we're, we're trying to balance our weight between two axles and it's all about neutralizing that. I think for me, we spoke about before, but what I believe, and it'd be interesting to hear your points, a high rise bar is a great way to move weight distribution more rearward and a low rise bar is a way to bring it forward. I think that there's also like a, a biomechanical element that like a high rise bar, yes, it means that your weight isn't so far over the front, but it brings more your handlebars more in range to apply weight. Yep, that's what and, I like about it. Yeah, and if you're going down something steep, you don't get pulled forward. Um, there is definitely a point though. It's like, but I think the relationship between and so I to answer your question, I think longer rear ends uh, play a big part for me, and I think longer reaches, like they can just they stabilize out out the bike so much 
but I would say that I think with high high rise bars they feel really good and then you go over a threshold which could be like five mil and it drops off a fucking cliff and you haven't got that front end anymore and that's what I had with that bold I can mm. never really get the weight right on the bike etc etc um, but yeah we are seeing some bikes you know that canyon neural I tested had like a 645 mm-hmm. mil stack for yeah. a canyon yeah. a neural one a canyon neural one yeah crazy yeah yeah i mean like that norco uh fluid i have is that way like super super high stacked where mm. i'm like slamming the stem mm. and that's not my way <laughs> so <laughs> that is more times we've used the word perennium maybe too many times i think that's that's our quota for the year yeah <laughs> we don't come back tank talk mm. is over yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to do like a 45-minute TED Talk on why I'm right on this. Put it up on the front page. <laughs> Honestly, I would absolutely go, go in for that. We, we, can have, we can have a... Maybe we can make a five-minute argument each and people can... All I need is like 30 seconds in like a stool. I'll just prop what, when, my... you, when you say stool. <laughs> uh, like a, ch- a chair. A chair with no back. All you need to do is if you put the front wheel up on something simulating steepness, you realize that you're sliding off the back of your bike. I've never slid off the back. I know. I'm not saying you're going to fall off. But like, you just said when you're, you're sliding off the back you're, of your bike. You're like subconsciously fighting that by like gripping more <laughs> and like pulling yourself up with your hands or like having to like do different things with their legs to like just counteract that. And I'm just sitting down on a flat surface. But you know, when you pedal. Yeah, I do. You will be, I think you tend to shuffle forwards. <laughs> like, I See, I don't have to. Well, just no, sit but, down. But you got, haven't you got, don't you have loads of weight in your hands on your shoulders? Not when I'm climbing. If mm. I'm like pedaling yeah, flat, you're like, flat as well, right? Not a ton. I'll try to avoid it. <laughs> you you like, why do you try up to or down? It? It's up or down. Just push um, the bike to the bottom of the hill. And it's got to be pretty, pretty bloody steep to warrant. I will say I did, I did like a ride a while ago where I had to do like 30 miles of flat to get mm, back. But that was gorgeous. And my, like, I, yes, there was more weight on my hands than there mm. needed to be, but it was worth it for the climbing. It's like when people have like 80 degree CG bangles and then they don't swell up the reach at all. And it's just the worst thing in the world. Sorry, Daryl, I know that you really like your tip saddles. One day you'll realize how wrong you are, just not the day. I will say on bikes with like an 80 degree seat angle, I don't tip the front as much. Why is that? But you're still going to have something just as steep. Because you're not sagging. You mm. do, you're not like, it's not changing the pitch of the bike as much under sag. Why? Uh, because it's like, it's hard to do this. Yeah, with, you're in, over the bottom more. You're over the BB more. If you can imagine like a vertical mast coming straight out of that, it was most noticeable for me riding Nico's Frameworks bike because mm. it's a straight tube coming from the BB right up to your butt. What, see, what is it like 80 degrees? 80 degrees, 80.5. Oh, wow. oh, fuck. Which like seems crazy on paper, but then I like hopped on that bike with a coil that was like undersprung for me mm. and I was able to climb on it all day and it was really comfortable. Maybe, I, I, I mean, I should go into this open mind that I should try it. Um... And I'll ride it on some flat stuff. I'll ride it like a normal squamish ride and, um, and report back and then get both wrists reconstructed. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about some of the things that we haven't seen come back. Maybe we want them to come back and circle back around one more time. Mm. Um, I'm going to start this off. I think we're going for, there's a lot of stuff going on. 10 years ago, it used to be cycling. And you didn't have electronic gears or anything or eagle, but there'd be this amazing button on the left-hand side of your handlebar. You'd press it and everything would become easier. 
was that so bad? We yes. now have that, but it's e-bikes, and it's uh, yeah, they're all, yeah, it's, all it's just control. The, the remote control. Yeah. I thought they were kind of like terrible, but like everything was kind of terrible then. I have yeah. a bike with a front derailleur. It's on a mountain bike, and that thing sucks. Does it? Yeah. What type of bike is it? It's like my get around town mm. commuter bike. But I call it my truck. With all what they're doing, what I would like to do is just have a second chain ring there. And no front derailleur, and then just kick it off my foot. That's a Tracy. I have done that. I've had bikes set up like that. It's yeah. it sucks. Oh, because it, like you have to get off and like pull your chain back on. No, true. I don't know. That's it's just like shit. not as elegant. Well, like split the difference between front derailleurs and electronic shifting. There's that classified hub. Yeah, that does that. Go. Yes. That. So can you explain that to our listeners? So it's a hub with a planetary gear, a two-step planetary gear inside and it shifts by a remote on the handlebar mm-hmm. between yeah your two gears so it's basically packaging a front derailleur yeah in the rear hub that sounds great that's pretty, cool pretty dope it, yeah, yeah it does seem neat but you have a 52 tooth cassette in the back you're still trouble having trouble climbing yeah henry can't yeah. run anything bigger than the third two tooth chain ring but then what happened i don't understand well i'm just saying that like now like now it's okay but I think that I would love to see a, I'd love to see like a modern, modern attempt at it. No, why? That is modern. The classified does seem it could be interesting for, yeah. I like, cause then the benefit of that classified, I don't care as much about the gear range, but you could potentially run a shorter cage rear derailleur. Yep. It should be sweet. Yeah. Like I could, yeah. That's what I'm, without pedaling. I'm yeah. upset that they, yeah. they like in doing, in making that came out with their own driver standard because you mm. can't run like an HG and run a Z seven speed or like something yeah. The same 10 speed or something like that like a nice close like close ratio cassette mm-hmm. yeah. i think Sick. i think cassettes are getting pretty good but i think you know i think initially when we went to 12 speed there was some slight teething pains going from like the big cogs it was like you'd almost like stall up if you were going slow yeah, enough big jump yeah um and that would be cool i mean i'm not sold on it but i would like to see somebody if they you know as, as you say when classified i think it'd be cool to mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised something maybe happened maybe one day yeah fair <laughs> enough I would. <laughs> yeah. I would be surprised. Actually. Yeah. I think, especially with um, with the frame going to back to asymmetrical rear ends would upset oh, a lot yeah. of people, which is never going to happen. But something like the classified, I think, would be quite. Also, with like shock tunnels are really big now, and a lot of them are low down there, and that gets in the way of like any of the packaging you'd have. Yes, totally. That, I think. Um, what Sayonara. Would, what would be the, like, the thing that you'd like to see come back? Uh, weight weenies, like people who care a ton about how much their bike weighs. So I think like all of us have like kind of become somewhat complacent about like, you know, like 30 to 36 pounds. It's like happy. I'm mm-hmm. like, if it's below 35, I feel like I've accomplished something. Yeah, yeah. But you have some dude out there and he still exists, but he's like, I my bike weighs 21 pounds and I can ride it down anything. And like, <laughs> I think that's a dying breed, which is probably for the best. But like it, I, I think that will have a resurgence of people like, because right now we're like, a lot of people are complaining about the weight of bikes. So you're going to see people like trying to build like really lightweight, long travel bikes. Okay. I'm here for that. I like that. Yeah. I think bikes have gotten, we, we, yeah, we all kind of don't care as much about that, but I think now we're starting to see 41 pound e-bikes. Then when you get like a regular bike with no motor that rolls in that weighs almost 40 pounds, it kind of makes you scratch your head. Like, does it have to be that heavy? So I think that there's a thing. Yeah. And where would you say would be the easiest place to start if you want to start removing weight from some of these injury bikes? You make a lighter dropper post, maybe. Yeah, the drop like post is strange. And wheels are it's, big. it's like a tube and a tube and a tube and yeah, a tube. It's a bit. Like, I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. the eight pins that never caught on really as far as mainstream acceptance, but there probably is a way to make a dropper post lighter. And that's one thing a lot of people say, 
my bike used to weigh this much back in, you know, 1996 and it did. And it was probably lighter than maybe their bikes now, but it also had 26 inch wheels and no dropper post. There's like, and your, like paper thin tires. Yeah. There's your pound and a half, two pounds right there. And, but, yeah. um, and also the longer travel anything is, it's just, it needs, you know, the longer slide in the surfaces, it's got to be double, you mm-hmm. know, you pay for it twice, right? Yeah. Both I, in the way it's I think people and, can make smart choices with even the fork that you run. You know, I think we've, we've kind of, like the last three years, the, the Zeb and the 38, all of a sudden everybody needed the Burley's fork, but I think a lot of people can get away with a 36 and a Lyric, that kind of thing where yeah. especially lighter riders can have a lighter bike, you know, especially if you're a light rider, you could, you don't need the biggest Burley's fork to get that performance. And then your bike will be lighter too, to match your body weight. I think the Lyric and the 36 are kind of sort of underappreciated maybe. Yeah. You know, sure. I mean like 150 more bike with 160 more Lyric or say, um, 36 on his actually pretty bloody good yeah it's pretty mm-hmm. nice and i think yeah, it's easy to forget you know you want to put your biggest burliest fork on everything but it's, and it's certainly talking about stiffness with handlebars and stuff before your fork was too a fork that's too stiff can be uncomfortable too mm-hmm. yeah um, sorry go on no, no it's all good um kaz what would you like to see come back around bar ends bar ends no. i run inner bar ends i know you do no i Not love bar ends i will say i loved bar ends when i was a kid i had some onza bar ends they were like the short little stubby ones i liked them so much i, mean, I have a set of those i can give you really? if you want. Oh, yeah. i'll put them on my town bike and i'll be so happy <laughs> uh yeah that'd be great but uh what do i want to come back i mean i don't really have like rose tinted lenses from the past because i think we've most things are getting better if i can don the rose tinted lenses for five seconds yeah, more doping i want more doping <laughs> yeah, that's Bring a good it back. yeah they should make it more accessible like it's kind of hard yeah. to get the drugs that make you go real fast if they could just make it like yeah, yeah. legalize epo and then it could just be like for everybody mm. they just yeah. make it a new class yeah but because i pinched my nose and got you know double doubles back mm-hmm. just you know what, what no, would it be i think what about baggy Three. jerseys like real baggy jerseys we saw a guy today yeah, we saw a guy who was wearing a yeah. huge jersey. He was definitely from like cool. 2000. I will say yeah. we were talking about this earlier with fashion and how the 90s are back. I'm a, I'm a fan of how the 90s are back for fashion because mm. it doesn't confuse me. Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I already was there. I was in high school in the 90s and now I know like I know what's coming down for the next, I don't know how long fashion lasts, maybe the next two years. I already know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So it's like, oh, okay, we're set. I will see this come and then Wallet right. chains haven't really come back yet, though. I don't think the oh, kids I, know about I, wallet no, chains. There's some, there's some kids with wallet chains, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if... It, did you... No, I don't... I remember this is going to make me feel old, but yeah. No, you're yeah, good. In I my was school, there. The, the longer the wallet chain, the better. Oh, really? So that was how cool you were in a certain... You know, I had a babysitter group. with a wallet chain. Yeah, but it basically had to go wow. like almost down to your ankles. I didn't... I wasn't cool enough to have a wallet chain for the record. Yeah, you could like but whip people with But it. I remember walking behind a kid in school and... <laughs> You know, you're rushing, he's rushing up the stairs and then his chain went over his knee and he tripped himself oh, so hard because no. it, oh. it just like, it pulled and then just fell on his face. And, and his but, magic. Yeah. And his big like, yeah, his big, his Jenko jeans and then just a whole thing. Right. Nice. Um, wow. Oh, yeah. you, know, you know, I think is making a, or I don't mind having a comeback are hydration packs. Oh, I was just going to say that backpacks. Yeah. Backpacks, mm. but, but mm. the modern style, like the vest. more of a vest style, I've been using that Evoc pack for longer rides or I if I need to carry like a shot. Justin pump. Timberlake wrote the song about that. Did he? Bringing the sweaty back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's coming back. Big um, camera back user. Yeah. What's so, wrong with a hip pack though, with a bladder in? Well, I mean, your size oh. limitations. For, oh no, not with a bladder. You can't, I never. You have to tilt the nose of yourself even further down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because it, like, that, it counteracts all, all the benefits. Yeah. System. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah uh, hip packs of bladders are, are really dumb. They just I get agree. too big and goofy. And there's a certain point where having straps over your shoulders makes sense. And so I think that these new, vest style ones make sense for 
longer rides or if you need to carry a little bit more stuff. Yeah. Because there was a bit where Camelback were making literal vests you wore under your top. Jared Graves used to wear mm-hmm. one. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Would that do the trick? I don't want to have it under. I want to be able to access. You know, it's weird if you have to like, stop pretty, and fix a flat and <laughs> take your shirt off. pretty gross too. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. I just washed mine for the first time after a long summer of riding and it changed color so drastically. Yeah. So I think I imagine the clothes is a bit better there. I imagine like the talking head t-shirts you wear, the dye ones a lot. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I only, only one, only, only one talking heads yeah. t-shirt yeah. for the record. But yeah, I'm a fan of hydration, like modern hydration packs kind of making a little bit of a comeback. I, but yeah. I do like hip packs. It just depends, but it's nice to have a good option that I don't mind grabbing instead of trying to figure fit everything in a hip pack. Mm. Matt. What would you like to see make a comeback? We talked about this earlier briefly and yeah, going back with other things that you literally wear while riding elbow pads. Yes. Oh, yeah, more I'm into it, man. More downhill racers wearing a lot more protection. I'm sure even some enduro racers were wearing them more frequently in the bike park. So you're going faster. Yeah. It's, wow. it sucks when you. <laughs> <laughs> blow up your like elbows it, all the time. I have titanium yeah, I wore like a elbow. silk t-shirt so in, at the park today. So <laughs> The titanium in here is like a built-in elbow pad. So as long as I land on my left elbow, pretty strong. Is that... You can see it. It's like yeah, an L-shaped. It it's titanium from here to here. So that's strong. Is, it really? is that doctor's advice? Well... This is basically an elbow. That's, I've convinced myself. I've crashed so hard on this elbow since <laughs> it, and it's fine because it's just titanium in there. Is that actually it actually is? Yeah, yeah. It goes, it's an L-shape from here to here. Oh, I'm showing Dario now, but it's like, I don't know, five. Four like inches. there's no bone it's just titanium no, it's screwed to the bone oh okay Ooh. yeah reinforced yeah. yeah but maybe elbow <sighs> pads are probably if i had them maybe this wouldn't have there might not be titanium in may if i had oh elbow. i'm not saying that yeah i don't think they'll actually stop any broken bones because they're just a couple mil of foam but yeah it helps it's, like scuffs and it's nice like to that. get scratched up and just rare that i hit my elbow yeah yeah i know I've, I've become i now wear proper knee pads elbow pads who face helmet chest protector like that cross country rider well, I was cup, cup. Yeah. yeah, with my saddle at 45 degrees pointed yeah. to the ground <laughs> yeah. and just pulling yeah. up anything. Um, why don't people wear elbow pads? Is it a coolness thing? Is it is there a functionality to it? Yeah, I think they weren't really warranted for a fair bit of the time there where like enduro bikes were making a, a big comeback and like people were going in and out of the bike park or they're like pedaling long travel bikes on like older school downhill trails and they maybe felt more comfortable. But like now I feel like general bike park speeds have gotten higher definitely you look at the world cup race tracks like they're they're going freaking fast out Mm. there much faster than like the tighter old downhill tracks that kind of in some places look like enduro tracks so like yeah i think people just want to feel a little bit more secure out there a little safer yeah do you what style of do you you wear elbow pads regularly would you do you go to like the thinner ones the thicker ones yeah i would say half the time riding downhill mm-hmm. um yeah generally just wear like the sort of d3o style just mm-hmm. enough to kind of stop my elbows from getting scratched up but yeah. if yeah i'd be keen to try some i'm actually ones. i'm doing a group test on them oh there you and go. it's like it's taken me so long because i keep getting distracted it's going to come out just at the end of the bike park season and everyone's going to be fucking pissed off <laughs> i just pictured your testing methods in my head and you just had like a a piece of wood on the ground and you would just walk towards it and trip yourself and then just fall <laughs> and just repeatedly. No, you should try to break boards with your elbow and see which one yields the least oh, pain. Oh yeah. Fuck, that's a great idea. That's where a big wallet chain. You do. Mm-hmm. I feel that there is like a bit, yeah, there is a bit of a sort of a divide and I think me and Matt 
wear more protection at riding than you do. Kaz, you had a spine board on today, was it? Yeah, in the park, I just wear that. Just a I've broken. Me, not a spine I, I, board. Hate yeah. that, I, I hate that you call it that. <laughs> yeah. I will say what it. Did not a spine board. Spine a back protector. It, yeah. Yeah. A, a spine board is what you put someone who had a spinal <laughs> yeah. injury on right. and take which, them into an ambulance. Yeah, yeah. It's a and very that, different thing. Which is why I wear that in the bike park now because I have <laughs> titanium in my spine. So I feel why like. Why did the titanium <laughs> in the elbow work to protect you and the titanium in the spine doesn't? Uh, well, I have still more vertebrae that don't have the right. titanium oh, in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My whole covered by 20 odd others. But I have only a few titanium. Yeah. So I have that. So that's why I wear it in the bike park. And it's like, again, we're talking about things getting lighter and better. It seems like like the safety vest or whatever you want to call them have gotten pretty comfy. I can wear it and not mind. But yeah, when I go on long pedal rides, I don't wear it just because, yeah. but that's where the camelback can come in. Yeah. Cause then it's like a not poor man. You land on a shock bump kinda, instead of. Yeah. <laughs> but they can. But they can you get your bladder. Yeah. Well, they actually yeah. make some that have right. yeah. protectors built in. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably in between the amount of protection you wear mm. and not, but. It is kind of weird that when you come back from bike parks, bike parking a lot, then you go out, yeah, shorts, t-shirt, thin knee pads, and open face. And suddenly, for me at least, I'm like, oh god. Yeah. See, yeah, I'm, I'm in the opposite where I like most of my rides are like long pedal mm. things, and I'm like wearing as little as possible. I usually wear knee pads, but I come to the bike park, I'm like, ah, it's just like a long pedal ride, except I didn't yeah. pedal. I was like mm. that for years. Hey, I'd even yeah. wear like it'd be very rare for me to wear a downhill helmet ever. Yeah. Well, right. the BC yeah, bike yeah. race this summer was kind of fun because I just embraced. Obviously, a cross country race, you can't wear knee pads or you can't even have a visor on your helmet. So it was kind of fun to be like, well, this is what I have to do. And then yeah. just not have knee pads and then just go fast. I kind of like oh, that. Oh, I, I, summertime, I almost never yeah, wear knee which pads. Which is funny because it's like you're not any less likely to crash because it's hot yeah. out or because you're whatever. But like, <laughs> in my mind, it's like, it's hot out. I'm not going to wear my knee pads today. I, but like, I mean, when you're in the bike park, you're doing more laps. So yeah. the frequency or like. Oh, yeah. No, I wear knee pads in the bike park. Yeah. yeah I, just mean, like, I do as well, yeah. for, for the record. For all protection, right? Like, yeah. yeah. You're doing more laps, you're going faster. The ground's harder, so like these, yeah, like that's true. That's you know, the more, biggest thing. Maybe yeah. I um I I've got a review coming out of a Factor XC bike, 120 mil. You aren't in the pictures wearing knee pads, are you? I got some wafer thin Liat knee pads. Yeah. They're so thin. I think I I think you left them in the office and I grabbed them. Oh yeah, they're so is thin. Wafer, wafer thin. That's wafer. not how they say it in England, is it? I think wafer. it's off a Monty wafer. Python sketch. Okay, uh, wafer thin mint. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, just, and also I was doing two sets of photos in that day and I um, <clears throat> was just in a hurry. But also, yeah, I would, I would wear, because I was just like, the trails I'd ride it on would be still like in Squamish, there's rock, there's like, you know, stall up, land on your knee. I've got like little divots in my knees from landing mm -hmm. like square onto the kneecap so, yeah, so many times. Yeah. And yeah. I just so, yeah if I'm riding it. the XC back, I wear like a bikini. Like as, little, like as little as possible the yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah exactly the like yeah over yeah. the shoulder yeah. uh, that's the ultra string <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It starts off with a pair of like really nice like Castelli bib shorts and you just cut all the excess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ultimate arrow uh, yeah I, I kind of felt it felt a bit wrong weirdly which is obviously nonsense yeah it's pretty funny but like going on I don't know I'm not riding anything gnarly I tried to ride the stuff that you would find in an XC World yep. Cup course yep when you look at it, like those guys and girls are hitting gaps now. That race, two races ago, there's a pretty proper there was, side yeah. hill gap. There's some great pictures. But yeah, I, I mean. And they have yeah. gnarly crashes too. Uh -huh. yeah. Like yeah. Remember like last year, like Vanderpool, like went over the bars on that drop thing. Yeah. Like you could, you could warrant having a back protector for know, a crash yeah. like that. Yeah. So like at XC World Cups, I guess the only mandatory safety equipment is a helmet. Yeah. They don't even have like our gloves. No. No. No, I don't think yeah, so. So like I remember years ago at. A downhill world cup i think in like 
pretty much like any like high level racing in Italy, France, and maybe one other country. There was like <laughs> the test to see what kind of equipment you had on was just a simple like pat of the elbow yeah. and the back. From, really? From the, yeah. From like yeah. the oh, course supervisor. Pizza boxes and making yes. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Ridiculous. Like, never make protective equipment out of cardboard just get around a rule anyone that's listening like if you're going to do that it's you're going to jinx yourself but why don't i don't understand why more like see like the bicycle industry wants to make you know items that have a certain novelty right to so we you need this enduro this or this xy that and down i don't know why do they make like downhill jerseys with just like a foam insert in the sleeve yeah fox made that with some pants once it's kind of hard just because everyone's just slide around yeah yeah but it would just i'm not not like look not to be skin tight or anything, but just like, you know, like a normal Jersey with a bit. Yeah. Probably like I mean, cost you see like, like he crashed yeah. once and he like toasts like a $200 Jersey. But I see yeah. like, you see like jerseys and pants with like Cordura fabric yeah. in wear areas where you'd crash. And like that kind of helps like, as opposed to like a gossamer thin thing that just like tears through mm. and then goes to skin at like that slides a bit more, mm. yeah. not a lot. Like it's not going to protect you in any mm. meaningful way, but you know, less of a boo-boo. It is amazing as well, like with the elbow pads that have got on this ridiculous test. Some of them, you do two turns and they're down by your wrist. Yeah, that's one thing I've always had with them. Just I got like spaghetti arms maybe, but they just kind of slide down and it gets annoying. They've got the G-Form ones have been really good. Troy Lee got some good ones. Mm. I mean, lots, lots of bands have got, got yeah. good ones, but those ones that have been like so far like, huh. Yeah. I mean, I was wearing them today. They're so discreet you wouldn't even know because mm. kind of, it's kind of uncool. Yeah. Well, I don't make the rules, but it's kind yeah. of, it is kind of uncool. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it is kind of funny. I mean, I wouldn't ever tell anybody not to wear things just because it's cool or not. But well, there is definitely a, there's different fashions for different parts of the sport, which is kind of, mm-hmm. I can just look at it and think things are funny and just do whatever I want. But there is definitely people looking at, you know, a magazine or a video or whatever. No one looks at magazines actually, but on the video. Uh, they they look at outside magazines. Exactly. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of elbow pads in well, there. But. I offset my elbow pads. <laughs> when I wear my elbow pads, I offset with a really big wallet chain. Yeah, uh, just so yeah, shit, like a little. Yeah. Could you imagine like having your wallet chain hook on like a root as you're hurling down misfire? Oh, uh, yeah, caught in your either pulley and your high pivot bike. <laughs> you just, like, suck yourself in. Could it not be a spare chain that you take with you? Yeah, exactly. Your spare links and you just carry you it. That would yeah. be funny. Yeah, yeah. Like cool. A, like a hundred dollar flat top chain connecting your wallet to your, yeah. <laughs> to your uh, belt loop. Right. Yeah. I think. Um, we solved mountain biking again. And that's pretty good. Yeah. Yet I again. think I'm really glad my suggestion of the double was met with just as much derision as it should have been. Thanks, I mean, it's guys. Keep me honest. Yeah, well, there's yeah, a re- there's like well. a reason that that happily died. Yeah. It will but the classified thing is kind of cool. The classified we'll try thing to, is I think cool. we were trying to get one in. We'll try to follow up on it. And the weight of it is actually... It was not crazy. Not crazy. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about heavy bikes. Mm. That's not, not yeah. too bad. Cool. Now, get in the comments. Let us know exactly why we're wrong. Why you're... 19 pound stump jumper from 1983 is the best thing you've ever ridden. And more importantly, is fashion something we should even be concerned of? And what's coming up next? Thanks guys. We'll see you later. Welcome back. So for our little outro, we're going to leave you with Four songs that you'll almost definitely despise, but probably for different reasons, and that's what we're aiming for. So my uh, my recommendation for Music Corner this week is there's an Australian radio station called Triple J, and they do a series called Like A Version. This is Peking Duck's cover of Crowded House, Houses Fall At Your Feet. It sounds terrible, 
It is the most euphoric, high-energized thing. It's got um, Julia Stone out of um, Angus and Julia Stone, I think they're actually called. Mm. <laughs> you might have heard of them, Big Jet Plane, fantastic song. Yeah, it's just such a feel-good song. I hope you like it. Um, Dario, what is your suggestion? I'm going to bring two to the table Ooh. because I can't settle. Uh, I'm going to put the two on the very far ends of the spectrum of like music taste and feel you're not, uh you're not f- talking about creed again we've had we've heard enough yeah, creed, it's creed week baby I just can't take back. greatest hits <laughs> i couldn't name one creed song i'm happy to say no uh the first one it nothing original it's a song by the chats it's called panic attack i've just been listening to it a lot because nice. it drives and it's sick and it's really good uh you should listen to it it's off the album get fucked um <laughs> the second one is a lovely folk song called sleight of hand by duff thompson mm. so if you want to unfuck yourself i was gonna say you slice of hand and then the next title could could leave some mixed messages um Kaz, what's, uh, what's yours i'm on? leaving uh, a tapestry yes <laughs> rich yes uh mine is by folk implosion it's actually a whole album mm. that just came out that it existed for a while and i don't it kind of disappeared so now and it's out and the album is called music for kids and it was basically the soundtrack to the movie kids which is a pretty gnarly movie that i don't know if i recommend people watch it but you're talking about spy kids Spy Kids, yeah, no, like maybe that's pretty no. cool. I wish yeah. that was eight. No, it's not about Spy Kids, but uh, it's a soundtrack. But it's you don't have to watch the movie; just listen to the okay, cool to this. And then full composition, it's um, Lou Barlow from Sebado and Dinosaur Junior, who I'm a big fan of. So I don't know, you should listen to it. Some Sick. lo-fi, cool stuff. Cool, yeah. Matt, what would your recommendation be? Uh, I get a song, uh, "Don't Fall" by the Chameleons. They're like a post punk english rock band sounds great and yeah it's just a, a song about dudes kind of cramming everything in before fall comes before winter hits you know and i feel like that's pretty relatable to this time of year for us with riding we're like oh we gotta go get it yeah so that one kind of gets me jazzed up kind of has like Sick. a could probably fit into like an earth segment with alex rankin that's so nice so i'm like ah yeah that'll get me stoked for riding this year i've approached someone with a new philosophy that I'm trying to eat the fruit that grows when it grows close to me. So when bike park season, I'm just riding bike park. But once it closes, I'm just going to lot of pedaling again. And so I'm kind of almost looking. Mm. Basically, the problem is, is I can't do anything nor- like a normal person, have a normal relationship and just enjoy both. <laughs> I'm like, nope, bike park season is- it has commenced. I will not pedal one <laughs> rotation. I will not do anything. Um, but I'm looking forward to just going very slowly uphill for a couple of weeks until things start to come back a bit. Um, and we're going to leave it there. So thank you very much for listening. And um, stay tuned for more Pink Bike Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.